You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Should you ever set foot outside of the hotel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan. Welcome into Up in the Raptors, a podcast brought to you this basketball season by our friends over at Johnny T-Shirt. Co-hosting this, I'm Taylor Vipolis, and this year, I'm joined by a national champion, the most outstanding player of the Final Four, and a Carolina basketball legend, the ACC Network's Joel Berry. Kentucky game to break down, but first, sad news out of Chapel Hill Monday. Eric Montross passes away after his battle with cancer at the age of 52. Montross played for Hall of Fame coach Dean Smith at UNC from 1990 to 1994, where he was the starting center when the Tar Heels won the 1993 National Championship. And after his playing days, he served as the radio analyst for UNC game broadcast for 18 seasons and worked as the senior major gifts director for the Rams club. Tremendous loss for for the Carolina basketball family. Um, how, how do you kind of put into perspective what his loss means means to you guys and and the impact that he had on Chapel Hill as a community? Yeah, uh, when I saw that news this morning, um, I kind of just took a took a second to pause. Um, one, just because uh, you know, just thinking about life in general, how um, I mean, you just never know what direction you'll end up going. Um, and so I took a deep breath with that, but I started thinking about Montrose and I started thinking about like all the people that I've heard on his behalf that spoke about him. Um, and there was never a bad word said about Montrose. And you know what? I look at him as like just a big teddy bear. Um, that's what he was like huge human being. I mean, one of the biggest human beings you'll ever walk, uh, stand next to and he was the most genuine nicest guy you would ever meet um and he had done so much not only for the basketball side of carolina but just you know in general the community of carolina especially when you talk about sports and what he what he had done i mean it was just terrific and amazing um and i think about someone you know, part of the reason why I had an opportunity was him standing and getting in front of people um, wanting to give us scholarships to be able to pro progress our careers and what we were doing. Um, and he was the he was the mediator for that. Um, so, you know, my thoughts and prayers goes out to his family. Very sad day. 
Um, but I know everyone um, is smiling because of how great of a guy he is and how genuine he was to everyone. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, great to see the the outpouring of love that people have shared with with stories from him. And, and I think you you hit it best where anybody who knew him doesn't have a, a bad word to say <laughs> about the person that Eric Montross was. And, you know, he was a great basketball player for Carolina, but uh, the sentiment coming out of Chapel Hill is that he, he was a better, a better person than, than the national champion basketball player he was. And yeah, would also like to extend my thoughts and prayers out, out to his family and just a tough time that they're going through this holiday season without him. Um, but getting back to the basketball, Carolina loses to Kentucky in the CBS Sports Classic, 87 to 83 from State Farm Arena in Atlanta. What were your biggest takeaways watching that game? Well, my biggest takeaway as I, you know, as the clock was running down, um, I just started thinking about the game in general and how with all of the mistakes and um, bad plays that were made, Carolina still had a chance, which was which was crazy. And I thought I thought the one the one play that really kind of summed up how the night was going when is when Jalen Withers and I believe it was Harrison Ingram like. Both went for the rebound, both trying to be aggressive, trying to make a play for their team, and they just fumbled the ball. Um, I thought that was a difference maker just because that could have turned the game around in the later latter half of the game. Um, but I think that just kind of summed it up was just like those little mistakes that could have made the difference. Um, really, it made a had an impact on the game. Um, but uh, but I, overall, I love the way that they, they competed. Obviously, it was a great opportunity that was missed. Um, but when you look at it from a positive standpoint, I think there are a lot of things that are fixable and that they can learn from. Um, but overall, it was a very competitive game, and I was just glad to see them compete against a team that will be there at the end of the year. Yeah, Kentucky out-rebounds Carolina by 10. UNC gives up 18 offensive rebounds, 15 second-chance points to the Wildcats, and you lose the game by four. And that's the difference right there, just losing on, on the glass by that wide of a margin. Why do you think Carolina struggled so much with the physicality that this game had to offer? Well, I think Kentucky's uh, size was a little overwhelming. Um, I mean, in pretty much every position, they were outsized. Um, and Kentucky's athleticism, that young athleticism, um, kind of wore down Carolina at times. Um but, you know, I think it's more of just the will and effort to want to rebound. You know, that that isn't anything that when you talk about mechanics or technicality, you know, that's just the will of wanting to get stick your nose in there and wanting to rebound. And, uh, you know, coaches always talk about guards getting there and rebounding. I thought RJ did his part. You know, he had seven rebounds and led the whole team in rebounding, which was crazy. Um, but I just think the, the, the athleticism, um, and the size difference really, really had an impact on Carolina. You mentioned that rebounding is a lot of want to, and, and like will, and, and the heart side of basketball, Hubert Davis said, uh, after the UConn game that he was going to make sure his team worked on rebounding and they still come out this game where he said, I guess we kind of have to go back to the drawing bar to figure out what, what we have to do. How do you work on on rebounding from a from a practice standpoint and, and from a preparation standpoint? Well, what we 
what Coach Williams did when we weren't rebounding, it would be if someone forgot to box out, um, Coach Rob would raise his hand on the sideline and we we would have to run. Um, and so, you know, I'm not sure what 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 took place in practice, but um, something has to change because you can't allow each and every game to be dictated by being out rebounded. Um, you know, you can't have those, especially on the offensive side of the ball, you can't give teams um, extra possessions and extra shots. And so to, to, to work on that, you know, you got to put something around it that's getting your players to buy in to realize how important that is. And whether that be running or something, you know, coaches have th- different things that they want to do to sort of penalize their team, if you will, for not for not boxing out, for not, you know, sticking your nose in there rebounding. But I think there has to be something because you don't want this to turn into a habit. And now you're later down the road trying to figure this out. So whatever it is, they got to they got to go ahead and nip it in the bud now before it becomes a problem later on. Yeah, R.J. Davis, you mentioned, was the team's leading rebounder with seven, and he only had one in the second half, so it, it wouldn't have taken much to overtake him as the team's leading rebounder. And I think the Cormac Ryan addressed it in, in the postgame press conference with R.J. Davis, where he's like, this is kind of a team thing. We, we all have to be better. Um, we can't just have R.J., the, the smallest player on the court, leading the team with rebounds. And um, I think I think the rebounds is is something that has to the rebounding is something that for sure has to be addressed, but also the turnovers that Carolina had. Carolina had 17 turnovers in his press conference. Hubert Davis said that turnovers are, are usually the result of either carelessness or selfishness. And he didn't think it was selfishness on Saturday, but instead he thought guys were pressing from from being so hyped up. Yeah. What did you see with Carolina and their ability to take care of the ball or I guess not take care of the ball. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with coach Davis on um, just being amped up. I thought they came out um, just the two that stick out to me was Harrison Ingram was on a, uh, got a closeout and I mean, had an easy drop off to Armando for a dunk or if they didn't step up, he had an easy layup at the basket and that was a turnover. And then you had Cormac Ryan, which Coach Davis said, and you said it wasn't them being selfish because all of the turnovers were them trying to make a play for someone else, um, or at least majority of them. Cormac Ryan tried to advance the ball ahead to R.J. Davis, and, um, you know, it just ends up hitting the ref and, and going out of bounds, which the ref needs to move out of the way. We're trying to get, you know, we're trying to run down the sideline, man. <laughs> But um, but I, 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 you know, it's just being able to value the ball. And that's something that you can also work on in practice, which we did as well. You know, we had a certain amount of turnovers. And then once we got the turnovers, any type, any, any, uh, ap- anything after that certain turnover, you're getting on the line running. So, you know, that's why I say I look back at this game and those are fixable things, you know, being able to have the effort to go in there and rebound. And then being able to take care of the ball, valuing each possession, because in, in a game like this, you know, the margin of error, we talked about that in previous podcasts, the, the margin of error is small in college basketball. And you can't just give possessions away, especially when you have an opportunity to go and score. So, you know, I you want turnovers to be um, where they're not, you know, not selfish turnovers, somebody just over dribbling. 
Um, so that's why I said these things can be fixed. Um, but you want to go ahead and fix them right away and work on them now before they hinder you later on. And one of the problems Carolina has been having the, the past couple of games, at least, is Armando Baycott is so high up on, on team scouting report at, at this point in his UNC career that teams are finding ways to take him out of the the game plan and, and make him um, a lot less effective than, than we've seen him at times where he, he struggles against Kentucky. He has six points. Uh, he has nine points and six turnovers. What can Carolina do to try to get Armando Baycott going to where in a game like this, it doesn't feel like he's just not out there? Well, I would challenge Armando to um, to speak up to his teammates to to get him the ball. Um, I when he when he's running down the court, um, sometimes I just pay attention to him because I want to see how he is posting up and you know where is his defender when he is posting up. And Taylor, I will tell you, a lot of the times the defender is on his back, and I mean he literally has like. Two, two feet in the paint right by the circle to where it can be a uh, 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 a catch and just turn over the left shoulder for a layup. Um, so I would challenge him to speak up to his teammates. Hey, when y'all see when you see North Carolina on my on and you see my number five, get me the ball. And he has you know what? He has the right to do that because he is a leader on his team, number one. But he has put in the work and he has the pedigree to do that to his teammates. And a lot of the times they're not throwing the ball to him. And those are easy baskets where he can get himself to the free throw line, be able to uh, have some easy layups to where now the double teams are uh, ineffective because I'm just catching and I'm I'm literally going up for a right uh, a jump hook. And um, I, I, I just see that I, I've seen that over the last couple of games. And I thought I, I think that's something that needs to be addressed um, is getting the ball, even if it's just throwing the ball down there and getting the ref's eyes to see like, OK, they're fouling him. And then now those fouls accumulate. You get into the bonus a little bit earlier, but also you get your best one of your best players going for him to only have four field goal attempts. I just really think that's unacceptable with the type of uh, just the type of player he is and how dominant he is. Yeah, four. I was just about to mention that the, the four <laughs> field goal attempts. It's it's almost like you have to do a double take looking at the box score because it wasn't really like he he was in foul trouble or or anything. I know he finished right. with four fouls, but he still played thirty one minutes and and to get four field goal attempts for from one of your best players, it, it does feel like they need to do something. Uh, to kind of relight that spark on, under him and, and have him playing at that All-American level that I think a lot of fans thought they would get for, for the entire year with somebody like Armando Baycott. And one of the other things we talked about where Carolina needed to improve heading into this Kentucky game was the defense. And obviously the defense doesn't finish a lot of these possessions off when, when, you're, giving up, when you're giving up these offensive rebounds. But we also talked about how teams are, are able to, to kind of hunt mismatches with this Carolina team at times where Carolina basically forced to take Elliot Cadeau off the court because Kentucky is hunting him and getting him in the post. What did you see from Carolina defensively in this, in this matchup, knowing 
how much of a, a point of emphasis we've been talking about that the defense does have to get better. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of switching off the ball. Um, but you know, I'm not the coach, so I, I, I don't make the decisions, but, um, I just think sometimes they can get caught up in, you know, switching, um, and when you really don't have to switch and then all of a sudden you're trying, now you have, you know, Elliot on someone you don't want to, um, want him to be on. And now you're having to adjust and, um, and that can be tough. Uh, like in the, in the last, it was, I think Kentucky was taking the ball out up under their basket, uh, and sideline out of bounds or yeah, out of bounds underneath the basket. And they, it was like, I think it might've been three seconds on the clock. Um, and they end up, they switch for no reason. And now they have RJ on a, you know, seven, seven, one, seven, two Bradshaw. And he ends up getting the offensive rebound and uh, gets fouled. And I was just looking at it. I'm like, man, that's, that's like an opportunity where there's three seconds on the clock. You don't need to switch because now they switched off and now they had a smaller player on a bigger guy. And so I just think at times, you know, it just, it, it might take a little bit more effort, but you know, whenever you have a matchup and um, when you have certain people on certain guys, you want to be able to keep it, and, and stick that as much as possible. So, you know, I don't know, you know, what the philosophy is and how that, how that should be fixed, but it's hard, man, when you, when you just switch off the ball and then they end up hunting out a, a, a mismatch and, and, and attacking it, it's hard to keep, you know, a smaller guard on the floor when you're doing that, especially when you have six, one and six foot, you know, at your one and two spots. In, in this uh, Kentucky matchup, over 50% of Carolina's points came from Cormac Ryan and RJ Davis and Kentucky outscores UNC with, with bench scoring 36 to 14. I know the, the strategy from Carolina is a lot of their offense is going to be run through RJ Davis right now. And when Armando Baycott's out there and you have Harrison Ingram and Cormac Ryan, but do you think this team is lacking that, that scoring punch off the bench and, and if so, like, how, how can you kind of overcome that? Yeah, I think they are. But I, I don't know if, you know, I think they have enough guys on the court when you do bring in your bench to be able to get some scoring. Um, so, I you know, I like when Seth Trimble's in the game. Like, for example, you know, him going up against Reed Shepard. You know, Reed Shepard was one of those guys that come off the bench and can, and can light your team up. And I thought he did a great job on him defensively just hounding him and not letting him get comfortable um I I I really do like Seth on the court um and I like Jalen Withers on the court as well I think he brings athleticism um that that Carolina needs and so I I really do think they have enough scoring to be able to combat you know not having or enough weapons uh rather to combat you know not having that really bang coming off the bench being able to score the ball um, and so, you know, that's, that's just still part of the early season, trying to figure out different lineups and guys that you can put together to where you still have enough scoring out there on the court to be able to supplement, not having that big bang coming off the, off the bench. But I really do think they need to find some ways to get, um, 
in particular, Jalen Withers out on the court and see how they can utilize him a little bit more. Yeah, when you're looking at, I know, I know plus minus isn't the the end all be all stat for for basketball, and there's a lot of times where different lineups affect whose plus minus is what. But when you right. do take into account the plus minus from this Kentucky game, their their leaders were Jalen Withers was a plus thirteen when he was out there in his 19 minutes, and then uh, Seth Trimble was was second on the team with a plus 10 in 16 minutes and when you lose by four that's a a pretty sizable window where carolina was able to win in in the minutes those guys were on the court but yeah quick break to remind everybody about our friends at johnny t-shirt if you're going to be in chapel hill you can visit johnny t-shirt on franklin street and if not no worries you could visit them online at johnny t-shirt.com johnny t-shirt has all the carolina apparel you could possibly want this basketball season. They've got the hats, the T-shirts, the jerseys, the cold weather gear, you name it, they've got it. And it's great people and great customer service from our friends over at Johnny T-shirt. And don't forget, Inside Carolina premium subscribers save 10% off their orders. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Joel, I, I think one of one of the biggest bright spots from this Kentucky game, outside of just the overall fight that I think this North Carolina team shows, which is I, I think the their fight al- alone and, and their ability to scrap back into games. I think when you get into conference play, it's going to win this team a, a lot of games. But outside of that, Cormac Ryan, where Cormac Ryan scores twenty points on an efficient eight of 12 from the field, four of seven from three. What did you see from Cormac? Yeah. um, You know, when you're in a shooting slump, you just gotta, you just gotta keep shooting. Um, And I think uh, when he was going through that slump, he was taking the right shots, um, taking the shots that were in rhythm um, within the offense, nothing that was, you know, outrageous or um, a crazy shot. So, uh, you know, I thought he stuck with it, and this is what ends up happening. And even Calipari said it. He was like, you know, the number three guy comes in, and he's not shooting the ball, and then all of a sudden he's making them. So uh, I just I, – I really do think that um, seeing him take this next step uh, and getting out of that slump is is beneficial for Carolina. Um, you know, moving forward, they can, they can build off of this momentum, and he can build off of this momentum, but – Having a three-point ball um, will be huge for them. And uh, I think most importantly, having him getting going is something that they will need, especially going into conference play or even this next game against Oklahoma. Um, I think they, you know, just getting him going was like, when you talk about, I think they still have some other pieces that need to get going, as I said, Jalen and, you know, figuring out Seth, but when you talk about the, you know, another piece in the puzzle that needed to be put in there, I think Cormac was that guy that needed to get going. So to be able to see him knock down some of the shots that he did um, uh, was a was definitely a bright spot. In your career, when when you went through shooting slumps and you had a, a breakout game like this, did you kind of have that that mental switch flip where you're like, okay, now now I'm about to get hot or, and and when you do have a hot game like that, how do you kind of carry it over into the next game? 
yeah it's really like a, it's trying to get over that mental hump because you get to, you get so so far down in a slump i mean sometimes you start shooting the ball and it's not even it's really not even shooting it's almost like trying to guide the ball in there like you're trying to get you know be trying to shoot a layup you're just trying to <laughs> easily get it in there and then it just it, it just turns into a mess so when you finally like get over that hump it was like it's like the light clicking on it's like okay now now i'm ready to go and you saw him not only just um you know in his the way he was knocking down shots but it was the demeanor you know the 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 way he was sticking his chest out you know that that's how you could tell that somebody's coming out of a slump and getting into that confidence but the last thing you want to do is stop shooting um and i thought that you know he stuck with it but uh yeah man just getting that confidence and when you finally start seeing a couple of those balls go in man you're like okay i got my swagger back and i think he does so hopefully this continues to to be the norm for him moving forward i thought it was interesting too with cormac where carolina opens the game and their first look is is trying to get him uh they're running in action to get him an open three and he he misses the three but what do you think that does for a player when you, you start a game and and you're going through the shooting slump, but your team is running actions for you? They're trying to get you involved. They're showing that confidence in you. Yeah, because you, when you walk around sometimes or being around the, the the guys and the coaches, players are aware. You're aware that like, man, things aren't going well for me right now. You can kind of feel like, you know, feel like you're taking a back seat like you realize you're important to the team but you just don't feel like you don't feel there you know what I'm saying so like Carolina coming out and doing that it like people don't realize it and it you know you it, it's hard for you to realize it but it does it does wonders for a player to know that like after all that I've been through after you know not coming into coming into this game shooting 25 percent from the three-point line coach comes out and he runs a play for me like that gives you confidence and then all of a sudden you're like okay I am an important part of this team you know I might be in a slump but I'm still important to what we are doing what we are trying to accomplish so it means the world and I think that's you know coach Davis trying to play with his psyche a little bit helping him realize like look man we need you um we're all we're sticking with you we know what you can do you're a sharpshooter keep shooting the ball by the way, let's run this play. Shoot, shoot the ball. Keep it shoot. Uh, keep shooting, man. <laughs> and we, we we talked about the heart and, and the fight this team shows, and nobody nobody uh, demonstrates that better than somebody like R.J. Davis, where he's the team's leading scorer. He goes for twenty seven points. He's the first player to lead UNC in scoring in six consecutive games since Justin Jackson did it in 2016, 2017 where he was the ACC player of the year. Uh, I, I think Carolina's best offense right now looks like whenever the ball is in RJ Davis's hands and the Carolina fan is at their most confident when, when he's shooting the ball. What about RJ has impressed you the most during this run and then the game against Kentucky specifically? Well, I tell you what, him and Justin, they don't pass the ball. So <laughs> I'm just – I'm just playing. No, Justin. Justin was a, an amazing player and deserved ACC Player of the Year. Um, and RJ is playing at that level right now. Um, but he's just playing with a different type of confidence, man. And um, you know, I think a lot of it has to do with him just playing with a chip on his shoulder. 
Um, but I just think, you know, he's taking that next step in his game. And when you look at his stat line, it's, you know, eight for 18. Um, you know, he's getting to the free throw line, eight for nine from the free throw line. Crazy to see him miss a free throw in the game. Um, but uh, he's just playing at a different level right now. And he's in that groove and um, where every single shot you take, you just you think is going in. And now the fans are expecting every single shot that he does, that he takes is supposed to go in, you know. Um, and he's just playing with a different type of confidence. But that's the progress, uh, the progression in, that you want to take in your career um, and just seeing the way that he's playing not just only making shots, but the way that he's playing with good pace, playing with good rhythm, coming off of screens, being under control, knowing when, you know, to slow it down or when to uh, get to the paint. Um, he's just playing every facet of his game right now is just on rhythm and and just has a lot of confidence right now. And you mentioned that, that missed free throw that RJ had. I don't know if you knew this, but he had 40 straight makes going yeah. into that, which was the second longest streak in UNC history. He gets fouled going up. He hits the free throw to tie Jeff Lebo's 41 in a row from back in 1989. Lebo. And of course, of, of course, <laughs> do you think he knew in the back of his mind, like if I make this, this is the record and, and Lebo's sitting right over the, over there. Yeah, I'm trying to – I wonder if someone told him that before the game. But that's the problem. You can't tell people that. You just got to let it – you just got to <laughs> let it be. And then when the, when the streak is done, that's when you have to say, man, you know that was like – you could have passed Lebo, right? Now, now you know – I know Coach Lebo. I know he's over there like, well, RJ, you, you were close, man. So <laughs> – they'll, they'll be forever tied in, in Carolina basketball history. And let's – Maybe RJ will 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 get back on another streak. But, oh yeah, he uh, still yeah he still has time. It's a lot of season left, so maybe he'll he'll get on another left. one. Yeah. Before we wrap up, a big shout out to our friends at Congruity. Congruity is a North Carolina-based national coverage local presence company with personal support straight from the Tar Heel State. Congruity is empowering small and mid-sized business owners with HR and payroll outsourcing, enabling you to grow your business while they take care of your greatest assets, your people. And they are doing it with top-of-the-line technology and services for every stage of your business's growth with a state-of-the-art online platform. Congruity, they are obsessed with customer service where they become part of your team. They do the heavy lifting, providing essential admin support with a single point of contact and support available on demand with services that are tailor-made for you, transforming your organization. Congruity has helped hundreds of businesses improve and enhance their day-to-day -day lives, level up your HR capabilities, save money, unlock game-changing growth. Visit congruityhr.com backslash Tar Heels to learn all about congruity, filled a quick form to be connected to their consultants, and they'll give Inside Carolina listeners or viewers a payroll and HR assessment for free. That's congruityhr.com backslash Tarheels, congruityhr.com backslash Tarheels. All right, back to the episode. Carolina, next up for Carolina, they have the Jumpman Invitational in Charlotte against Oklahoma this this brutal stretch of games continues. No time to, to feel sorry for yourself losing to UConn. 
and Kentucky in back-to-back games, another top 15 team uh, on the schedule. What have you seen from Oklahoma and, and how does Carolina match up with, with the Sooners? Yeah, well, the guards will definitely be uh, be at a premium in this game. Um, there's There will be a lot of guard play. Oklahoma runs a lot of actions for their guards. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see the point guard matchup. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is an Oklahoma team who – they're still undefeated, right? I mean – as of right as of right now, I think they're still undefeated. Um, if not, they're a one loss team that is that is really good. Um, so it'll be it'll be up and down. Um, you know, you yeah, got to turn it out. Yeah, they're they're undefeated. So this is an opportunity. Um, you know, you don't have time to the wallow in your sorrows. You got to you got to put that last game behind you and you got to get ready for this for this matchup. Um and it's at 9:15, so you got to get your Red Bull in and and be ready to go cuz it's a late tip off. Um but I this is another opportunity, man, to be better. Um I love what coach Davis said uh about Dean Smith. He said a mistake is good when you recognize it, you admit it, you learn it and you grow from it. And I uh I think this is a time to grow from what they, you know, what they've learned and what they've recognized from that Kentucky game. And uh, so this will be a high level game and I'm excited. Um, this will be another fast paced game. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of exciting uh, play in this game. Yeah. At the time of the recording, Oklahoma is seven in, in the polls, but they're number 19, according to Ken Palm, the 33rd adjusted offensive efficiency and the eighth, uh, adjusted defensive efficiency. So they, they kind of hang their hats on, on the defensive end of the court. I think one, one interesting thing for, for, for this game, at least when it comes to the neutral court sites is Carolina plays UConn in MSG. They play Kentucky in Atlanta. I was at both of those games. They, they felt closer to road games than the neutral site games. (laughs) Now Carolina gets this one in their backyard in Charlotte. How much do you think, playing in Charlotte in front of a what should be a a heavy heavy pro UNC crowd will do for this Tar Heel team. Yeah, you know, whenever you can get your get your crowd behind you, you know, that's uh and get your fans behind you, that always gives you a a little extra boost in what you're doing. Um just being able to have, you know, going to those neutral sites, going on the the away games, you have to create your own energy. Um, and because, you know, you're hearing it from both sides or you really don't, you really don't get like an opportunity where it's, you know, pro Carolina when you're at like, you know, when you're at those neutral sites. So being able to have it in Charlotte, um, is a, basically you can consider it a, uh, a home game. So, um, it'll be good to have the crowd behind them, but, you know, like I said, this is another opportunity for them to, to, to bounce back. Um, you know, you look at the losses, you got UConn, that's a loss. You got uh, Kentucky, that's a loss. Um, and I'm talking about previously, I know the Villanova game, but, you know, you're talking about two quality teams. Now you get to learn from those mistakes and you get another chance um, to get a really good quality win and have an opportunity to do that. Um, but being able to have that crowd behind you, man, is a big factor. Playing in Charlotte, your backyard, will you be in attendance? You know, what? with the bedtimes and the schedule, man, it's just, it, it, it's too late for the kids. You know, you get out of there about 11, 12 o'clock. Nine um, is asking a lot. 
Yeah, nine nine is asking a lot. Uh, we went last year uh, against Michigan. It was the earlier game, so of course that worked out. But nine, man, I, I, I <laughs> you know, the kids, man, you gotta you gotta keep them happy, or they'll make you they'll they'll keep you they'll make you irritable at times. So uh, you gotta be ahead of the ahead of the game. So no, we won't be in attendance. <laughs> I will be in attendance in Charlotte at that game. Joel will be in Charlotte, but but watching from home. He'll be watching 9 p.m. tip-off against Oklahoma on ESPN. Joel, appreciate the time as always, and appreciate everybody watching and listening.